wife back there, what Brian, I love what Brian said about kids because, um, one, you know, the very first time we came here, which was 20, 2014, I think, I remember Jeremiah came to us. He's like, please let your kids run free. And I remember he said, we're trying to get as free as they are. You know, and I'll never forget that. And, um, you know, when I minister, kids have never bothered me. And uh, I grew up, my uncle was my pastor uh, when I was growing up. And I can remember as a little kid, I just, I liked to be right under his feet while he preached. Like I was right under him. And I can remember one time being right under him while he was preaching. And uh, here come my, you know, I don't know, I can't remember exactly who it was coming to get me, but he snapped at him. And he said, leave him alone. And he said, if I can't preach around him, then I've got no business preaching. You know, and I have never, ever, and that, that stuck with me. I was probably only three or four, but that stuck with me, and it always has. So, amen. All right, guys, let's get into the Word this morning. Let's go to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3 and verses 13 and 14 is what we're going to read here. Um, Psalm 11.3, you don't have to turn there, but Psalm 11.3 says, "If If the foundations be destroyed, what will the righteous do? And what I have found out in the body of Christ is that when the found if if there's not a good grasp on the foundational doctrines of the gospel error and deception are inevitable you know error is 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 not quite like deception you know it's errors kind of like the beginning but deception's like the worst case scenario but but these things as i encounter deception as i encounter encounter error what I have found is they always come back to a misunderstanding of a foundational truth of the heart of the gospel. Every time. Um, I was having a conversation with Marcus Wick uh, just the other day. Uh, we were speaking on the phone. He was talking to me about some teaching he's about to do. And he said, if you'll pay attention every false doctrine, um, it begins with, a misunderstanding or a throwing out of one of the, the, the foundational principles laid out in Hebrews 6. There are six things there that are mentioned that are foundational doctrines. And we're not going to get into that today, but what I am going to talk about is a foundational truth that we really need to grasp, that we really need to understand, especially in our circles. And I know the last couple of times I've ministered, I, I feel like I've been administering some correction to our our finished work, our understanding of grace and things like that and faith. But um, but what I'm going to do today, this doctrine is is extremely important and 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 you'll you'll get where I'm going. Let's just get started and we'll get into what I'm what I'm going at. Galatians 3 verses 13 and 14 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Being made, being made, Christ being made made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is every one that hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So I want you to notice something here. It says, He was, he was made a curse for us, that the blessing might come. Might come. The curse came, so the blessing might Come. When you look that up in the Greek, might, just what it says in the English, is what it means in the Greek, it, it's something that's potential. It's something that's possible. And I've said this for the last couple of months, every time I minister, the, the work is finished, but it's not automatic. And I think that's, you know, and that's where our, our understanding of faith comes in. But, but what I want to talk about, being made so that we might have. What this is, is it's, I'm just going to use this word, I'm not going to try to throw it out a lot today, but this is the doctrine of substitution. And this is a core doctrine, you know, I like to study theology, I like to study church history, and I promise this isn't going to be as complicated as it sounds here from the get-go. But the doctrine of substitution is a doctrine that was, it was foundational in, a, in the understanding of the church for the first 2,000 years. 
And uh, like if you look, if you read a, a book from a minister that's explaining basic doctrine and things from the 1700s all the way up to the early 1900s, substitution was always mentioned. And, but it's got in our modern church where we don't really have a focus on the doctrine of substitution. And, you know, substitution, the word substitution just means the use of one person or thing instead of another. And here's why I want to talk about this this morning, because let me say this and hear this. The offense of the cross is most of the time subtle. Most of the time, people that are offended over the cross don't even realize they're offended by the cross. They don't even realize that they're offended by what took place on the cross. Because it's not the idea of Jesus saves that offends us. It's not the idea that Jesus dies, that he was buried, that he was resurrected that offends us. But what offends us usually is what took place on the cross. The substitution that took place. And what that meant. That is usually what is offended, and, and a lot of times we don't understand, because listen, here's the thing. The legalist fails to understand substitution, and they make the cross ineffective, right? Because it doesn't matter what happened on the cross, you've still got work to do, right? You've still got something to add to the equation. But now the liberal, and I'm not speaking of a political affiliation, I'm, I'm speaking of those who are, who are liberal with, with their interpretation and understanding of the Scripture, they fail to understand substitution, and they make the cross pointless. God didn't need the cross. That was all man. You know, Jesus, Jesus didn't become sin. Jesus wasn't forsaken. Jesus didn't experience wrath. Uh, Jesus didn't experience the curse. Uh, this wasn't God's idea. It was man's, right? So, so one extreme makes the cross ineffective, but the other extreme makes the curse or the cross pointless. But Paul taught over and over in the book of Acts, he said, listen, if there had been any other way for redemption to come, that's what God would have done. Right? So the cross is not pointless. But let's look at, so we're talking here, he said, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Now the word curse in the Greek, uh, when you look it up in the Greek dictionary, it says the Hebrew curse. Also, a, a devoting or dooming to utter destruction, hence condemnation, doom, and punishment. So here's what the curse of the law is. The curse of the law is any judgment or punishment that was handed down under that dispensation. All right, Under the dispensation of the law, so if you go to Exodus through Malachi... Any negative consequence, any judgment, any punishment that you find, that is part of the curse of the law. All right, And that curse is what Jesus took on the cross. And, and here's the thing, how is that possible, right? Christ was God's beloved Son, He was the only begotten of the Father. How was it possible for Christ to be made a curse for us? It actually tells us here, it says, For it is written, he's been made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is every one that hangs on a tree. So in Deuteronomy 21-23, it actually says that anyone who is hung on a, on a tree is accursed by God. So something happened that we don't quite understand. Jesus went through this life sinless. He knew no sin. He thought no sin. He acted upon no sin. He was perfect, right? We all know that. He was perfect. But he allowed himself to be put on the cross, which, you know, a tree, right? And something happened there that when that happened, it opened him up to spiritual death. It opened him up to sin. It opened him up to the sinful nature that, that, that we possessed at the time. It opened him up to the curse of the law. All right, and there is a mystery there. We might not quite understand it, but here's what you got to understand. In the Gospels, you're getting the photograph, but in the Epistles, you're getting the x-ray. Right? You, when, you, when you look at an x-ray, you're getting the, the, the inside. Right? You're seeing what things look like on the inside. A picture can just show you things from the outside, and that's what we got with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We got Jesus hung on a cross, Jesus died, Jesus was buried, Jesus was resurrected. But in the epistles, we get the x-ray. 
And Paul comes along and Paul says, listen, I know that when Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John talked about him on the cross, you only see a naked man on the cross suffering. But what was actually happening was that man was taking upon himself every curse, every judgment in the law. He was taking upon himself all the condemnation, all the guilt, all the shame that the law brought. He, was, he took upon himself the very sin that had us bound. He took upon himself every tumor, every form of arthritis, every, every uh, disease, every sickness, every pain, every ache. That's what was taking place on the cross. right? And so even though Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John don't give us that with the photograph, Paul does with the x-ray. All right. Have you ever you know, hurt something and on the surface it might look fine, but then an x-ray reveals there's a bigger problem here, right? Something's broken, something's missing, something's lacking, something's there that shouldn't be there. Um, that's what we get here in Galatians 3, 13, 14. We get the x-ray. We get what was taking place on the cross, and here's what I have found. This is what's offensive about the gospel. This is what's offensive about the cross, Right? And actually, there's two different things. There's the offense of the gospel and there's the offense of the cross. What's offensive about the gospel is you can't save yourself and you can't keep yourself safe. You can't make yourself righteous and you can't maintain your righteousness. Right? That's the offense of the gospel. But the offense of the cross was or is there's things that took place on the, on the cross that tends to offend us. Okay, um, so let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to look at this a little bit more, lay a foundation, then we're going to get into some things. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to begin with verse 17. Um, it says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature or a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God who has reconciled us to Himself by Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit or to know that God was in Christ. Now listen, when I'm talking about, like I said, this morning I will be administering some correction, uh, you know, doctrinal correction. Um, and one of those things is what we're going to talk about in a few minutes is Jesus on the cross said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's one of the things that offend people about the cross, that on the cross Jesus was forsaken. All right, And I, we're going to look at all that here in a minute. But this is the scripture people usually come at me to say that's not what happened. That God was in Christ reconciling the world. All right, So let's deal with that now instead of when we talk about Jesus being forsaken. All right. God was in Christ reconciling the world. The world wasn't reconciled on the cross. 1 Corinthians 15, 17 says, If Christ be not raised from the dead, you are still in your sins. So that tells me that, and I've done whole messages on this, and you guys can go back and listen to it. I did a message titled, The Finished Work from the Cross to the Throne, that tells all about this. But on the cross, what was actually dealt with was the law and our debt and our obligation to it. And it was the grave and the resurrection that actually dealt with our sins. So there actually was not this recon a reconciling of the world on the cross. On the cross, Jesus took all the curse, He took all the punishment, He took all the sin, He took all the sickness, but He took those things with Him to the grave. Right? And it was when He he. he, he did what he did in the grave. And that's another subject for another day. Like I said, I did that whole teaching on that. It's when he did that, those three days and three nights, and he, can't, he resurrected from the dead, that's the moment you and I were reconciled. That's the moment that when we by faith receive Jesus, that's the moment that that's our new beginning. Right? So the world wasn't reconciled to God on the cross. All right, so we'll get with that in a minute. I know that sounds a little hard, but you'll see here. Uh, not imputing their trespasses unto them. So remember, the idea here, what he's saying is, listen, the reason the world was reconciled to God is because he was no longer imputing their trespasses unto them. I just pointed out, trespasses weren't dealt with until the resurrection. All right? 
Anyways, let's go on. And has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Verse 21 is why we're here. For he has made him to be sin for us. He has made him who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God. So here's substitution again. He made him to be that we might be, right? He made him sin, he became sin, so that we could be righteous. That is substitution. It was our sin that he took. It was our our curse that he took. It was our sickness that he took. It was our shame that he took. Our guilt, our condemnation, it was our curse that he took. The curse of the law belonged to us. But yet God substituted himself and said, I'll be in their stead. I'll take that curse. And and the reason this is offensive to people is because why would God do that? They think that makes God look angry. Listen, I think that shows us how good God is. Right? Right? And I know people say, well, you know, that's not really, that's not judgment. That doesn't, that doesn't paint God in a very good portrait. Listen, I understand what you're saying, but tell the one, you know, a lot of times we want to, we want to defend, in our gospel, we want to defend, right? We, we, don't want to, we don't want anyone to feel guilt. We don't want anyone to, to feel shame. We don't want anyone to feel condemnation. We want everyone to know, no matter where you're at, no matter what you've done, there's still hope. There's still Jesus, right? But listen, when you've done people wrong, that means there's victims out there. And those victims, you know what they need? Thank God for your salvation, but they need justice. And God is a God of justice. Right? So on the cross, what God dealt with was justice. All right? So here's why, to me, this is good news. To me, it's not good news to say Jesus didn't deal with that stuff. God didn't deal with that stuff. God, God didn't require that at anyone's account. He just turned a blind eye and acted like it never happened. Don't tell the one who's been raped that that's good news. Come on, brother. Don't tell that, don't tell that to the family who has had someone murdered that that's good news. That's right. Justice is good news. Yes, sir. Right? And so here's why I think this is good news. The judge became the judged. The judge said, here's the sentence, but here's the good news. I'll pay it. Thank you, Lord. The penalty is death. The judge handed the sentence down. The penalty is death. Here's the good news. If you'll receive it, I'll die for you. That's good news. Yes, sir. That's the gospel, right? But so many times we're offended by that. And listen, so 2 Corinthians 5.21 here, he says, For he made, him to be no, he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. This calls to our attention the animal sacrifices. And a lot of people who don't understand what happened at the cross, if you'll notice a lot of times there's a removal of the Old Testament. Why? Because the Old Testament screams substitution. The Old Testament, now we know this part. The Old Testament screams judgment and it, it screams... But here's another thing. The Old Testament screams justice, right? Our King James uses the word judgment, and that's kind of a shame that that word is used because most of the time that word should have been translated justice, okay? And so, you know, and, and that's one of the things God said. He, he spoke to the prophet or through the prophet, and he said, what have I required of you? And one of the things was to walk in justice, right? Justice is is part of the fabric of the gospel. And when you you try to remove that thread, the whole thing falls apart. And that's why whenever that thread is removed, it's usually not very long before people just forsake God. All right? But... And during an animal sacrifice under the gospel, and remember we're talking about photograph, x-ray, a lot of times in, in when you read Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you're getting the photograph and you don't really see what was happening. But um, when you study it and you look at through what the rabbis taught and, and also through what the epistles teach, 
what was happening when someone would bring the lamb before the priest. What would happen is the sinner would put their hand upon the head of that animal. Now think about that animal. That animal knew no sin. That animal was right. right? He had, that animal had done no wrong. right? Because he's incapable mentally of doing wrong. Right? An animal is incapable mentally of doing sin. Why? Because it doesn't know it's sin. It's an animal. Right? So that uh, lamb is, in a sense, sinless. All right? so, so when the sinner would bring the lamb before the priest, the sinner put his hand on the priest. And something happened, uh, the x-ray, so to speak, the sin was imputed to the animal. And the animal's innocence was imputed to the sinner. Okay, and so the Paul taught us the wages of sin is what? Death. Someone had to die. Something had to die. So the animal was then, as there was that transfer, there was that substitution where now the animal died in place of the sinner. All right, so the sinner could then go home knowing there's no judgment, there's no condemnation, there's no guilt. There's no shame, but there has been justice. Because in substitution, there is judge justice. Well, what's the justice? That doesn't seem fair. The wages of sin is death, right? But the gift, the gift is life. All right? So we see that in the animal sacrifice. But now let's look at substitution. Every major doctrine is in seed form in the book of Genesis. Every major doctrine. It doesn't matter if you're talking about the cross. The second coming of Jesus is in seed form in the book of Genesis. You can find every doctrine in seed form in Genesis. Go with me to Genesis chapter 2 and verses 15 through 17. And we're going to look at some, a few scriptures real quick and I'm going to make a point. Genesis chapter 2, 15 through 17 it says, And the Lord God took the man, speaking of Adam, and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat of it. For in the day that you eat of thereof, you will surely die. Now I know, I've, I think I've read these to you guys last four or five times I've preached, but this is just something God's just really ministering to me. In the day you eat thereof, you will surely die. Not you might die, be careful, this could happen. The day you eat thereof, you will surely die. Well, in Genesis 5, 1 through 5, we realize that Adam lived up to 900 plus years beyond after eating of the tree. What happened? Did God lie? Now, there is teaching, and I agree with this teaching, that what actually happened was Adam died spiritually. I do agree with that. I do think that's what, what happened there. But, then, but that doesn't explain why didn't Adam physically die. And I believe the answer is found in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. So this is after they've ate of the tree. This is after God has told them the consequences. Verse 21, Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. Alright, there had been no death up to this point. No death. Paul teaches us that when he says death came through one man. All right? This here is the first death. The first death recorded in the Scripture was not Adam. It was not Abel. The first death recorded in Scripture is right here, and it's a substitution. An animal was killed in Adam and Eve's place. And they were clothed with the skins of that animal. They were clothed with blood. right? They were clothed with the life of that animal. So here we see substitution from the get-go. Now, real quick, one more. Genesis chapter 22. We're not going to read all this. I, I gave KC all this to read. We're not going to read this whole thing. But this is where Abraham is bringing up Isaac uh, you know, God says, I want you to offer your son. And people, again, this is a story people, you know, they kind of freak out. They get offended about. But why? Because they're offended about substitution. The lesson being taught here is substitution. Look here in verse 7. 
And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father as they're going up the mount and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb? Verse 8, And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb. God will provide himself a lamb. So there's one way to read that. You can read that, that God will himself provide the lamb or God himself will be the lamb. And that is what the gospel is. But now look here, verse 13, so or verse 12. And he said, uh, an angel appears to him. Let's go down to verse 13, I'm sorry. So an angel appears to Abraham as he's about to slay Isaac. says, don't do that. And verse 13, And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering, look here, in the stead or in the place of his son. So why didn't Isaac die? Because the lamb died. And who's the lamb a picture of? Jesus. So here we see the doctrine of substitution is in seed form in the book of um, Genesis. Now we're going to go to Romans chapter 8, verse 1, and now we're going to start dealing with the cross. And we're going to start dealing with what happened at the cross. And, uh, and, and you'll see the good news of this at the end of the message, but right now we just need to get blunt and see what happened on the cross. What did Jesus endure on the cross? What did Jesus experience on the cross? And some would have a problem with me saying that on the cross Jesus was punished. That does, that's not nice, right, to say Jesus was punished on the cross. In our game of who can make God nicer, that's not very nice. All right? And, uh, and we, we can say that because it's like, well, not one verse says that Jesus was punished. We're actually about to read a verse that says Jesus was punished. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. We love this one. It's good. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. That's 100% true. But here's, why, here's the question we should ask. Why is that true? Is there no condemnation just because God turned a blind eye? Again, if that's the case, that's not good news. Someone out there is a victim and they've been hurt and what you're basically told is get over it. All right, God's too nice. God's too nice to vindicate you. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. How did it do that? For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh. Now, here, pay attention to this. God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. So, so God sent His Son in flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. Now context, condemned sin in the flesh. Whose flesh? Alright? See, I, before I understood the finished work, I used to read this verse and say, Jesus came and proved to us that it's wrong when you sin in the flesh. But, but And even though that is true, right, that, that sin's never good, that's not what this is saying. It's saying that he condemned sin in the flesh, in the body of Jesus. And because he condemned the sin in the body of Jesus, he will never condemn you who believe on him, who place your faith in him. Why? Substitution. Now that word condemned, we just think condemned means bad. Right? You know, we're not in favor of you. But this word condemned, in the Greek, it means to judge against, to pronounce sentence against. No, not just, to, not just to judge. Not just to pronounce a sentence, but to judge against. To pronounce against. And listen here, this is... I'm, I'm serious, go look it up yourself. Look up this word condemnation in the Greek or condemned in the Greek. This is the definition. Punish. So we could literally read this way. Verse 1, there is therefore now no punishment to them which are in Christ Jesus. Verse 3, for what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sent in His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin punished sin in the flesh. 
So why, how can you have assurance that God will never punish you? It's been punished. Substitute. It's been dealt with. The judge became the judged. Verse 4, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. The righteousness of the law is not... How did you get righteousness under the law? A substitute. See, we talk a lot about, you know, the works you did for righteousness under the law, and there, that, that was one part of it, but the other part was the animal sacrifice, the substitution system, right? Uh, go with me to Ezekiel chapter 14 and verse 6 through 11. So remember how I described the curse of the law. The curse of the law is simply any judgment or any punishment handed down under the law. So now look here. Let's just see. Here's what we do. Were people punished under the law for sin? That's, all, that's the only question we got to answer. If we want to know, was Jesus punished on the cross, all we need to know is that, well, Paul said that he took the curse of the law upon himself. Now we need to know, was punishment a, a, a judgment under the law? Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 6. Look here. Therefore say unto the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God. This isn't just Ezekiel making something up. He said, Thus says the Lord God, Repent and turn yourselves from your idols and turn away your faces from all your abominations. For every one of the house of Israel or the strangers that sojourneth in Israel which separates himself from me and sets up idols in his heart and puts the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face and comes to a prophet to inquire of him concerning me, I, the Lord, will answer him by myself. He's saying, I'm going to take justice into my hand. What is the judgment? I will set my face against that man and will make him a sign and a proverb and I will cut him off from the midst of my people and you shall know that I am the Lord. And if the prophet be deceived uh, when he has spoken a thing, I, the Lord, have deceived that prophet and I will stretch out my hand upon him and will destroy him from the midst of my people Israel. And I, again, you read this and you're thinking, bad news. It's good news when you know the gospel. Verse 10, And they shall bear the punishment of their iniquity. So, this is God speaking. Under the law were people punished. Yes or no? Yes. Right here it is. And so if Christ took upon Himself the curse of the law on the cross, then we have to assume that on the cross... Jesus was punished. All right? Now, here's the next bad news that we don't like. Who was he punished by? Because then there's those who would come around and they'd say, yeah, he was punished, but it was by the Romans. Isaiah 53, verse 10, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. The word bruise in the Hebrew means to beat to pieces, to crush, to destroy, to smite. God is a God of justice, and on the cross He dealt with justice. Now let me say this, and I, like I said, I know this doesn't sound like good news, but it's good news when you realize because Jesus was bruised, I don't have to be. Not only do I not have to be, I never will be. Not from God. So if I'm experiencing any bruising, any punishment, it's coming from me or the enemy or other people. But as far as God's concerned, it's not a debt that I owe. It's not a penalty that I have to pay. It's not something that I owe Him. Hear me out. Listen, guys, if you don't listen to anything else I say, please, right now, please give me your focus. This is why this is important to me. If there is a debt that Jesus did not pay, that is a debt that you still owe. If there is a debt that you did not that Jesus did not pay, that is a debt that you still owe. So if under the law the pronouncement was punishment, if Jesus wasn't punished by the judge on the cross, then you know what you can expect when you sin? Punishment. Because it's a debt that you still owe. But there's good news. The debt was paid. Paid in full. It's not, coming in, it's not coming in increments. It's not coming in payments. It was paid in full. Right? And listen, you... Listen, let's just be honest. You're going to sin. 
right? And if the payment that you owe is punishment, then you've got 70, 80 years of punishment, right? Because you're always going to be messing up. You're always going to be fumbling. You're always going to be dropping the ball. And if the, and if the, the verdict is punishment, if the, the, the passing down is punishment, then you've got 70, 80 years of punishment. But the good news is God handed down the verdict and then God took care of it in six hours. Man, that is, that, that's good news. So let's go to the big one, Matthew chapter 27 and verses 45 and 46. And I want to deal with this one. We dealt with it a little bit over in 2 Corinthians 5, but I, I just want to I just want to hammer this home because I've never really dealt with this in a message, but I have received a lot of mean messages about it. So you know from on Facebook and stuff. Anytime I touch this, somebody gets mad at me. So I know today and tomorrow I'm getting mean messages from people who watch our streams. Um, Matthew 27, verse 45 and 46. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama shabbatane. That is to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now I've had people come up to me and they say, listen, the reason he said that was he was pointing people to the 22nd Psalm. Have you looked at the 22nd Psalm? There's 20-some verses in the 22nd Psalm. You're telling me he couldn't pick another verse. I don't think Jesus was just trying to call your attention to the 22nd Psalm. I think Jesus was forsaken. He was for, it was a substitute. All right? And so remember the logic here. If I need to know was Jesus... One, do I, how do I know if Jesus was forsaken on the cross? Listen, for me, this is enough. He said, why have you forsaken me? I'm good. He said it. To say that he wasn't forsaken is really to say he lied. All right? I don't think he lied. I think he was forsaken. But remember our logic. All we need to do is go to the law and see under the law was a curse under the law being forsaken by God. 2 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 1. And I know I'm throwing a lot of scripture at you today, guys, but I'm telling you this will root you in the foundation of the gospel, and it's good news. 2 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. It says, And the Spirit of God came upon Azariah the son of Oded. So notice here. This isn't just some prophet making something up. The Spirit of God came upon him and said what he's about to say. And he went out to meet Asa, who was the king, and said unto him, Here ye meet Asa and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you be with him, and if you seek him, he will be found of you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. So here, a curse of the law was being forsaken by God. But now every doctrine, you need two or three witnesses. I got another one. Go right over. You're in 2 Corinthians. Go to 24, 20. 2 Corinthians 24 and 20. And the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah. This isn't some prophet just making something up. This is the word of the Lord. The son of Jehoda, the priest, which stood above the people and said unto them, Thus saith God, why transgress that you the commandments of the Lord that you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, He has also forsaken you. Now the legalists, listen, I, I, I can remember years ago, a, a minister that I was sitting under, uh, I can remember he would get up two or three times. I heard him get up, use these verses, and say, listen, to you, if you forsake God, it says right here He'll forsake you. All right, That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying a curse under that law was that if you forsake God, He will forsake you. So on the cross, though, Jesus said, I'll take the curse. I'll be forsaken, so you never will have to be. For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross. What was the joy? You never being punished. You never being forsaken. You never being judged against. You never living in shame, condemnation, and guilt. That was the joy set before him. It wasn't just heaven. 
It was heaven filled with you without guilt, without condemnation, without shame, knowing that you don't ever have to worry about being punished, knowing you don't ever have to worry about being judged against. That's the good news of the gospel. All right? And look here. It's in. So I did this earlier with substitution. Being forsaken is also in the shadows. That's the way I like to put it, in the shadows. Right? And the reason people... Don't un- we need to we need to believe in a Jesus according to the scriptures. We're getting too close, and when I say we, I don't mean us as a church. I just mean as you know, a lot of people in as a whole as a church. We're, a lot of times we're getting too close to building a Jesus in our own image, yep. Yep. a Jesus that fits the model of of our you know the political ideas in the country and things like that. You know, like I said, I believe a lot of our grace teaching has become nothing more than a game show called Who Can Make God Nicer? Okay, and I listen, God's nice, but He's good. And in that goodness, there's justice, there's mercy, all right, there's all these things. But let's look at, do you know, like the mind of Christ? Like that's, that's something that's popular, and you know, we go around saying, you know, I have the mind of Christ, I have the mind of Christ, and there's... There's an idea that, well, the mind of Christ means any negative thought that comes, that's not me because I have the mind of Christ. If you look in context, do you want to know what the mind of Christ is? It's the Scripture. We have the mind of Christ because we have the Scripture. That's what he taught. Jesus taught the Scripture. And so when we say, I'm going to let this be how I think about life. I'm going to let this be my default setting, my belief system. You have the mind of Christ. But if you're doing twisting and turning to your own destruction the Scriptures, you don't have the mind of Christ. I don't care how positive you're thinking. I don't care how, you know, I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm just saying you don't have the mind of Christ. Because the mind of Christ is the Word of God. Right? Anyways... Exodus chapter 32, verses 30 and 33. Let's look at this idea of being forsaken in the shadows. So we know that Moses was a type and a shadow of Jesus. So this is after the golden calf. right? Israel has worshipped. They've broken the first commandment. And that, that baby's, the ink is fresh, right? I mean, that thing's just been handed down and they've done broke it. And so Moses goes before God, and listen here, or right, right here, it says, And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses said unto the people, You have sinned a great sin. There's ten of them. You already broke number one. So we're off to a bad start. And now I will go up unto the Lord, peradventure, look here, I shall make an atonement for your sin. Now the word atonement in the New Testament, when if you've got a King James Bible and you see the word atonement, think exchange. It carries the idea of substitution. All right? Uh, Look here. So Moses is saying, I'm going to go up to... I'm going to go up to the the mount. I'm going to talk to God, and I'm going to try to make some sort of substitution here. Verse 31. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, O this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. Yet now, if thou will forgive their sin. Now listen, you see the, the, I don't even know what you call it, if there's anybody who's really smart with major. I'm from Appalachia. I don't have a clue. Uh, but see, the, see the, the grammar there, whatever you call it, the punctuation after the word sin? I looked that up one time, and what that means is that Moses became speechless. So he said, yet now, if they will forgive their sin, we just keep reading. Yet now, if they will forgive their sin, and if not, that's not the way Moses did it. There's a pause here. There's a long pause. Moses becomes speechless and really thinks about what he's about to say. What's he say? So, Lord, forgive them. But if not, if you have to administer justice, if not, blot me out. I pray out of thy book which you have written. So here's what he's saying. Don't forsake them. Forsake me in their place. 
That's the heart of God. That's love. There's not a parent in this room who wouldn't pay the penalty for their child. Romans chapter 9 and verse 1. I want to look at one more. Here is the man, the apostle of grace. He understood the gospel greater than anyone. Listen what he did, or what he said. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. So he's actually talking about Israel here. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ. That word accursed just means separated. I could wish that myself were separated from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. So here's Paul, the apostle of grace, and he's saying, listen, if I had the ability to do it, I would be cut off from Christ so they could be joined unto him. That's a love. No, like Brian just said, no man has a greater love than this that he would lay down his life for his friends. So here's the Apostle Paul. So, but here's what I'm going to get at. Moses said, Lord, if you won't forgive them, put me in their place and forsake me. Paul said, Lord, if it's possible, forsake me for them. But you know what God told Moses? That's not what we're going to do. We know what God told Paul, that's not what we're going to do. What Moses and Paul couldn't do, Jesus could. And Jesus did. Moses couldn't be forsaken for Israel. Paul couldn't be forsaken for Israel. Jesus came and said, I'll be forsaken for the whole world. I'll be forsaken for Israel and the whole world. That's it. So, remember substitution. People say, you're saying that God forsook Jesus on the cross? That's, that's not a good father. That is a good father. Listen, substitution. So we said he was punished so you never would be. On the cross, Jesus was forsaken. So then he, that in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, it could be written, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Why? The forsaken is already, you've already been forsaken in the place of Christ in your stead, right? So let's look at one more here. Well, maybe one more. We'll see what we got here. Uh, Y'all know better than that. Deuteronomy chapter 28. Let's look at another one. We're we're looking at the x-ray. We're looking what took place on the cross. We see Jesus was punished. We see he took the curse of the law. We see he was forsaken. What else took place on the cross? Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 60 and 61. So this is actually where the curse of the law is being laid out. Moreover, he will bring upon thee all the diseases of Egypt, which thou was afraid of, and they shall cleave unto thee. Now I want you to notice something. This is something I always love. I did a whole message on this in another church. Uh, But... Sickness and disease isn't mentioned in the Bible until Exodus chapter 15, verse 26. And it's mentioned as belonging to the Egyptians. But he turns around and says, but I'll be your healer. So sickness and disease, the first time it pops up, it's something outside of the people of God. It's something that doesn't belong to the people of God. All that to say sickness doesn't belong to you. Egypt is always a type of the world. All right, Sickness belongs to the world. It doesn't belong to you. Now, if you've got pain, if you've got aches, you've got sickness, disease today, listen, i got a crick in my neck. My wife told me before I got up here, she said, listen, you got to quit sticking your neck out. You look weird. <laughs> but listen, crick in the neck isn't for me. Amen. There's no shame. There's no guilt. There's no condemnation. It just it, it lets us know we've got a good God, and it's not His will that we live with this stuff. All right? So, so but anyways, let's read on here. Um... Verse 61, also, look here. So you can read the law, and under the curse of the law, you can find uh, tumors listed, 
You can find uh, inflammation, which is like a type of arthritis listed. You can find fevers listed. There's all these things you can, you can find listed. And when you look at that, you might think, oh, man, my, my, what I'm dealing with is not in there. Look at verse 61. And also every sickness and every plague or in the New King James, every disease, which is not written in the book of this law, then will the Lord bring upon thee till thou be destroyed. So the curse of the law involved every sickness that man would ever know. COVID wasn't around, but guess what? It was involved in the curse of the law, right? Uh, Cricked in the neck, curse of the law, right? <laughs> and like verse 59, I didn't tell them to put this on the screen, but verse 59, it says, even great plagues and of long continuance and sore sicknesses and of long continuances. In the New King James, it says serious and prolonged sicknesses, right? So if Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, we're redeemed from that. We don't owe sickness a debt. This is why this is important. Because we talk like we owe sickness a debt. We talk like, you know, that's what we're just supposed to do. We're just supposed to be sick. And then when we get sick, well, I brought this on myself. Listen, I don't care. That's what mercy's for. That's what grace is for. I don't care what you're dealing with. I don't care if you brought it upon yourself. I'm here this morning to tell you from God there's grace for you. And grace doesn't say, grace doesn't come along and say, you've not ate good enough. You've not took care of yourself good enough. Now, that doesn't mean that the Spirit of God won't give you wisdom on how to deal, deal with yourself. You know, like I know some of you in here, like Angie and some more of you, God's giving you this wisdom to take care of yourself and you've seen great results from it. That's part of that's part of God being your physician, right? He'll lead you. He'll guide you. He'll take you down the road say, eat this, don't eat that. Do this, do that. He'll do these things. But I'm saying even if you're in a situation, you say, I brought this upon myself. I'm here to tell you by the Spirit of God, it's still not God's will for you. And He's not waiting for you to get your act right, get your diet right, get your exercise right before He will heal you. He'll, he's saying to you, baby, I'll heal you right now and then we'll take care of the other stuff. All right? Um, go with me to Isaiah chapter 53 and verse four, uh, 4 and 5. Isaiah chapter 53 and verses 4 and 5. Surely He has borne our griefs. Now, everywhere else, not, well, I think there's like everywhere but like two places in the Old Testament where this word griefs is used, it's every other place besides two or three more places, it's translated sickness or disease. So you could read this. Surely he... Now, it's talking about Jesus on the cross. Surely he has borne our sicknesses and our diseases and carried our sorrows. In the Hebrew, again, this word sorrows, when you look it up, the definition... Again, go do it yourself. Look it up. The definition's so short. And I love that Brian said what he said this morning. It says pain, parentheses, physical and mental. So it's mental sickness as well as physical sin, sickness. On the cross, Jesus dealt with that all. On the cross, Jesus dealt with anxiety. On the cross, Jesus dealt with depression. On the cross, Jesus dealt with PTSD. On the cross, Jesus dealt with discouragement. He dealt with it all. Right? And, and, but people will come along. Well, let me read on here. Yeah, we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Now, this is not saying that on the cross he wasn't stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But it's saying that these people, these Jews, said, look, like, look what God's doing to him because of how he's been going around saying he's the prophet, he's the Messiah, he's the great teacher. Now God's getting him back. Right? That's what this is saying. Verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Substitution. He was so that we might be. So that we might be what? The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Now there's some who will say, they say, yeah, but that's spiritual sickness. Spiritual disease. Right? Matthew chapter 8, verses 16 and 17, look at how the New Testament uses it. If that's the way that Isaiah wrote it, 
Matthew didn't get the memo. When the even was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word, and healed all that were sick. Verse 17, that it might be fulfilled. So Matthew seen the fulfillment of this being physical healing. Right? He didn't see it being, oh, you know, you're lost and now you're saved. That's what it was talking about that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bear our sicknesses. Now, now go with me. I know, I'm moving fast. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 and 25. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24-25. Now, these are another verses people say it's not talking about physical healing. Yes, it is, and I'm going to show you. This, verses 24 and 25 here is actually talking about healing spirit, soul, and body. And it brings out every one of them. Watch here. Verse 24. Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness. That's your spirit. Because your spirit, before you got saved, was dead to God but alive to sin. After you get saved, your spirit is alive to God, dead to sin. All right, so this is spiritual healing right there. But read on. By whose stripes you were healed. This is physical healing. Right? Why do I know that? Because he took the stripes in a physical body. Verse 25, look here. For you were as sheep going astray, but now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. This is the mental healing. This is your mind, your will, your emotions, your... your, your, your um. Your, your conscience. So this is physical healing. That particular line is physical healing, but these verses are covering spirit, soul, and body because God's will for you is not just physical health. God's will for you is wholeness. Like, listen, God will heal you right now no matter what you're dealing with, but if you still got mental torment, mental anguish, you're discouraged, God's still saying, there's more. Yep. That, that's, I'm still not satisfied with that. There's more. Right? It's like you get a flat on two tires and you change one, and you're like, okay, that's good. That'll get me. No, it won't. You ain't going to make it very far on one flat tire. Right? It might be better than two flat tires. Right? So you might get your body healed, but if your soul's still not right, if your mind, your will, your emotions still aren't right, listen, it's, you're not going to get very far down the road before you break down again. All right? That's why, and I keep telling you guys this. They, they say, you know, statistics show over 90% of physical illness is due to something that takes place in the soul. Discouragement, anxiety, depression, fear, things like this, stress. They say these things are what leads to uh, physical illness. So, man, we want to get taken care of the whole man, but here I'm supposed to be focusing on verse 24 and 20. So look here, verse 24, when he says, By whose stripes you were healed. And people struggle with this because it's like, okay, I know he said I, because were is past tense, right? But I'm still sick. Well, let me ask you this. Colossians 1 verse 22 says you are holy, righteous, and unblameable. The New Living Translation says without a single fault in his sight. Do you believe that? I believe that. I believe before God's eyes, I'm righteous, I'm perfect, I'm holy, I'm justified, that I'm without a single fault. In God's eyes, that's how I am. In Keisha's eyes. <laughs> that without a single fault part? Mm, she might not throw that one in there if she was writing it about me. What am I saying? God sees things different than we do. But what is true about you? If I asked, if I asked for a show of hands, how many of you in here don't have a single fault? Be honest. Nobody would raise their hand. Everybody has some sort of fault in here that they're dealing with. Right? But, yet in, but you know what's true of you? You're without a single fault. In His sight, you're without a single fault. Right? So that's God's sight. And so it's the same with physical healing. In God's sight, just like in the Spirit, He sees you righteous, holy, without a single fault. In your physical body, He looks at your physical body and says, healed. 
He looks at, the, he looks at your soul whole. That's God's sight. And what faith is, faith is when we say, okay, I'm going to start to see things the way God sees them. I'm going to take the way He looks at things, and that's going to be the way I look at things. All right? Because I used to wonder, and I've preached messages on this here, Hosea 11 verse 3 has become my favorite healing scripture. And I've never heard another preacher minister on that. Right when they preach on healing, I've always heard First Peter two twenty four, but Hosea eleven three says, "I healed them, and they knew it not." And here's what that taught me. Now he might not be talking about physical healing in Hosea eleven three. I give you that, but what that taught me was you can be healed and not know it. I healed them, and they knew it not. That is the truth of every believer in here this morning. You are healed. The question is, do you know it? It's the same in your spirit, man. The Bible says, Paul taught in Romans chapter 6, listen, your old man is dead. Do you know it? The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. He said, know you not that the Spirit of God dwells on the inside of you? The question isn't, does the Spirit of God live on the inside of you or not? If you're a believer in Jesus, the Spirit of God dwells inside of you. Do you know it? Right? So you've been healed, do you know it? So here's what I'm getting at. On the cross, Jesus took the curse of the law, which was sickness, which was every cancer, every tumor, every cyst, every form of arthritis, everything. doesn't matter what it is. Jesus bore it on the cross. The prophet Isaiah said in ch- chapter uh, 52, he said that his form was marred more than any man. And when you just... Flat out look at that in the Hebrew. What it's saying is he was so unrecognizable on the cross that he didn't even look human. And we think that's because of what the Romans did. It's not because of what the Romans did. It's because of what when he became sin, it's what it opened him up to. He, see, sin came before a tumor came. I'm not saying in your personal life. It goes back to Adam. Okay, that's the sin I'm talking about. Death entered through the sin of one man. Right? It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily matter whether well, I sin the causes. doesn't matter. Adam did it. Okay? So, it, and let me say this. The problem isn't as important as the solution. Yep. All right? So people try to figure out, well, how did I get to this place? You know, did I do something to cause it? doesn't matter. There's grace for you. All right? The, the solution is much, much more important than the problem. All right? So Jesus on the cross became sickness so that you could be healed. Substitution. So you don't deserve sickness. Never think that you've done something and God is cursing you with sickness. That will kill you. If you sit there and you lay and you think, I deserve this, that will kill you quicker than anything. But knowing this is not my lot. This I I deserve. I'm going to use that word. I deserve better than this. Not on your own merit, but because you know what took place on the cross. You know that He became sin so that you could be made righteous. All right? One more. I'm going to touch on this. Um, Go with me. Just go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. I won't look at the verses I wrote down. But another curse under the law. Listen to me on this one. I'm going to go quick so nobody gets mad at me. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Another curse of the law was poverty. Poverty. Um, Under the law, Proverbs 10 verse 15 says, the destruction of the poor is their poverty. I come from a very impoverished area. I've seen poverty destroy people. There's nothing good about poverty. And the idea that poverty is pious, that it is holy, that is ridiculous. Poverty kills people. That's why anywhere there's great poverty, there's great sickness. There's there's a lot of deaths. That's why. Right? 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that you through His poverty might be rich. And here's the thing. This is not one of those verses. People say, yeah, but that's spiritually rich. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is Paul taking up an offering. All right, 
So I dare say if you've been in Corinth and the plate was being passed when Paul said this, and you was like, here's my spiritual riches. There's, there's my spiritual offering, right? They don't do nobody any good. Does you good. You know, we love people through our spiritual riches, and we are spiritually rich, but the context is tangible. All right? And, and, and we're not talking about jets. We're not talking about mansions. But listen, here's my view. I'm not going to limit on what anyone believes God for. I'm not believing for a jet. You know why? I don't want one. I'm not believing for a mansion. You know why? don't want one. When we was out in Colorado, we had this beautiful house. Keisha loved that house. And listen, I didn't like it. You know why? And everybody's like, your house is beautiful. You know why I didn't like it? It was too big. Didn't like it. All right? I didn't need it. I feel like I didn't need it. I thought, like, we got too many bedrooms. We don't need them. All right? I, but, I'm, but I'm not going to limit what someone else believes God for. If it's a, something God's put in your heart and you need it, go for it. I'm like what Andrew Womack says. How many bathrooms do you need? All right? That's just kind of my view. But, but listen, on the cross, Jesus took upon himself the curse that poverty causes. All right? And, and what is rich? When you see rich, like I said, don't think mansions, jets, cars. Don't think that. What is rich? It's when you have more than enough to meet your needs and to bless anyone else that the Spirit of God lays on your heart. That if something you're like, I would really like to be able to help them. Like when, when we experienced this, this flooding in eastern Kentucky, Rich is when you say, you know what, I, I don't have to do without me and my family, but I'm still going to be able to bless these people. That's rich. Right? That's rich. And so on the cross, Jesus dealt with that. So here, here's, here's what the doctrine of substitution teaches us, guys. Jesus was cursed so that we could be blessed. He was made spiritual death so that we could be spiritually alive. He was punished so that we never would be forsaken so that we could be eternally united. He was made sick so that we could be poor. Every, or so that we could be made healthy. Right? Every debt that you owed, Jesus paid. And so now what is your debt? You don't owe Him anything. You owe Him one thing. Your life. Right? Your trust. Your confidence. Your faith. And when you see what took place on the cross and what you did owe and what he paid, the trust, the faith stuff, man, that's easy. That's all he wants from me is just to trust him. I can do that. Amen, I can do that. Just bless you guys today. Amen. All right, guys, we're going to go ahead and take up our offering. If you need to give an envelope, you can raise your hand. Uh, Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to give. We bless each and every seed sown and ask that it bring forth a mighty harvest in Jesus' name.